This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I'm delighted to have Dr. Joan Eifland. She is, without question, an expert in the processed food addiction space. She has written the textbook on processed food addiction foundations, assessment and recovery. She's also a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, earned her PhD, also has an MBA from Stanford and a BA in economics and political science. She's appeared on the Oprah Winfrey Network on the book of John Gray. She's founded online services for food addicted people. And I wanna be really clear, I was looking through your content last night, what incredible resources for people that are struggling with food addiction. It is such a pleasure to have you here with me. Thank it's you. your morning. It's starting to head into my afternoon. Such a pleasure to reconnect with you. I know we met initially at Mindshare last summer. I remember we were just positioned at the same table with one another. And I was so encouraged to know that there was an individual that was really spearheading, which I consider this to be spearheading this movement of really educating not only clinicians, but also individuals, because I think there's for far too many years, I think people have felt helpless and mm-hmm. that somehow there's something wrong with them. But mm-hmm. in reality, these foods are designed to be as addictive as possible. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to kind of start from the beginning. What got you interested in this field and in this focus? Well, I started into recovery almost 25 years ago, January of 1996. I had a weight problem. I was a yo-yo dieter. I would do restricted calories and then gain it back and started, I had back-to-back pregnancies in 83 and 84. And I think the addiction accelerated through those years because I just was eating a lot more. And with the first pregnancy, I allowed myself, that was my first thought, I'm pregnant. Oh, I don't have to watch what I eat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And of course, you know, no health professional there just asking me, make sure you don't eat sugar. I knew about not having the alcohol in the first three months, but dang. So fast forward, I just got sicker and sicker after those two pregnancies and couldn't go back to work. You know, I had that prestigious degree, couldn't go back to work. I was too sick, too sneezing, just constantly sneezing and constant sinus infections. But the thing that I was really upset most about in those years was raging. I was raised by ragers and it's Mm -hmm. beyond traumatic. I mean, it is traumatic and it just goes on and on. It never lets up. So there I was raging at these two beautiful little girls and a husband and doing all the things that you're supposed to do, going to therapy, women's groups, Mm 12-step groups. But it was in a 12-step group for codependency that another member of the group said, why don't you try food addicts in recovery? And it was kind of like at a thin phase. And I'm like, why are you telling me that? But what she could hear was she could hear the sugar driving the rage. I was talking about it. I didn't want it. And then, so I agreed, gained the weight by the end of 95 and 1996, started clean, quote unquote clean. It wasn't clean at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had other addictive substances in the food plan, but I took out the sugar and flour I didn't even take out artificial sweeteners. It's really weak, but that was enough to stop the raging and to stop the sinus infections and stop the bloating and stop the cravings and stop the fatigue. And I just was blown away. And I started out with a handout. 
I immediately, I was so codependent. I immediately wanted everybody else to be doing this too. My girls were in a little girls school and I could see that their grades were coming up and I just told them I wasn't going to give it to them anymore. They had their own money. They could go to school and get it, but I wasn't going to give it to them. They couldn't bring it in the house. They couldn't eat it in front of me and I wasn't going to pay for it. So, I mean, the miracle just extended to them and to my husband, you know, easy weight loss. And my commitment was I would make sure that they had clean food whenever they left the house. My husband didn't want that, but those two girls had a big bag of breakfast, lunch, two snacks. Mm -hmm. Never have to choose between going hungry or eating something bad. And it just worked. Uh, Their grades came up, their athletic performance came up, their confidence came up, their leadership came up. I mean, it was just just miraculous. So I tried to tell other at the school about this and nobody could do it. They weren't ready for that message. I don't think they weren't ready. I think they didn't have adequate support. Okay. I spent the next, you know, 22 years trying things like I had a prepared meal company and I did my PhD and I got on TV and I wrote a book and all those things, none of which were a match for a severe addiction. I mean, you can't read a book and get over alcoholism. It doesn't work that way. You have to be around people who are already doing what it is that you want to do. There's a very, very powerful part of the brain called conformance drive. And it's just a drive to be alike, to be like the people around us. And that's what we all need. What an incredible story. I think that that is probably one of my favorite things about podcasting is hearing a little bit about what got people to where they are today. And so, Uh, you know, let's actually, you know, pivot a little bit and let's define the scope of this problem. So when we're talking about the processed food industry, which I speak very openly about, you know, I think the statistic I read the other day was 80% of food sold in the United States is processed, which I was just astounded by. But let's talk about the scope of the problem, like where I know that the processed food industry started from probably good intentions, you know, around the time of after World War II, but clearly it's turned into a behemoth problem. And certainly, impacts not just people in the United States, but, you know, any westernized country. I I know there's Mm -hmm. nothing more disturbing when we're able to travel. When I go overseas and there's, you know, we're in Europe or somewhere else and I see like a McDonald's on a street corner. And I think to myself, that's like the last thing I want to do is travel somewhere and and go to a fast food place. But tell us a little bit about how this has kind of positioned itself to become such an enormous problem. Well, you're right. It did start with the invention of products like cornflakes, Mm-hmm. Kellogg's, Dr. Kellogg was, a, you know, he positioned himself as a health person mm-hmm. and created these incredibly addictive, destructive mm-hmm. products. Yeah. Can't say it any other way. I have to just say it really clearly. So, yeah, products came into existence in the 1940s, commercial products. But it really started before that in the early 1900s when they invented steel rollers mm-hmm. to grind grains into a much more highly powdered Mm -hmm. substance. And when you powder a substance, that enables it to get into the bloodstream very quickly. There's a corresponding high Mm -hmm. in the brain, an addictive high in the brain, release a lot of addictive neurotransmitter. Mm -hmm. So it is the processing that breaks down the plant enough that it can be absorbed so quickly Mm 
-hmm. that you are getting a high from it. So that happened in the 1940s. The other thing that was happening in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s was the tobacco epidemic, tobacco Mm -hmm. addiction, the nicotine smoking epidemic. So you had these corporations that were perfecting the addiction business model, mm-hmm. which you know, I call it the five A's. And this is why I'm so glad I have a business background because I can see, I can interpret this corporate behavior in the addiction model. So it's the five A's is a lot of advertising, availability, affordability, young age of onset, and then addictive, really ramping up the addictive properties in the product. Okay, so you've got this business model. We have new evidence developed by the University of California, San Francisco, Laura Schmidt. That school was the depository for the papers, the internal documents that the tobacco companies were required to submit as part of their court settlements. So those researchers are going through them. And last year, they discovered and published on a finding of R.J. Reynolds, the tobacco company, moving into sugar in the 1960s. This is another seminal moment in the development of this epidemic of processed food addiction that we have now. And they, it's just chilling. It's so mm-hmm. hard to read. But they deliberately took the marketing model that they developed for tobacco for adults, and they adapted it to sugar for children. So things like the red box, like think about a Marlboro Mm -hmm. cigarette box, 20 cigarettes in there, they transferred that marketing knowledge to juice boxes. It's chilling. It's just disturbing. Yeah, very disturbing. So come to the early 1980s, Three things just collide. One, you have the food pyramid where the government is now actively advocating for training dietitians, nutritionists, all the federally funded food programs are now addicting people to refined carbohydrates. Bottom row of the food pyramid is all refined carbohydrates. And number two, we have we bring to market high fructose corn syrup. It's so important because one of those A's is affordability. Mm-hmm. And if you are trying to build an addiction business model on sugar and you've got this cartel in Florida that controls sugar prices, that's not a good model mm-hmm. for building an addiction business. However, that completely goes by the boards in the early 1980s when high fructose corn syrup comes on the market. And it's incredibly cheap. It's highly addictive and it converts to fat twice as easily as sugar does. And then you have the tobacco industry getting into trouble in the courts and people quitting smoking. So we all know that when you quit smoking, you turn to food, you just transfer the addiction. So bam, these three things came together. And you see in a two year period, the tobacco companies buying Kraft and Nabisco and General Foods. And what they were able to do is then hire this horrible consultant, Howie Moskowitz, who had a method for maximizing the sugar, fat, salt in these products. Mm-hmm. Harvard-trained, PhD in experimental psychology of marketing, a monster. And all the processed food industry, once he reformulated you know, one brand of tomato sauce, 
all the other corporations had to hire him to reformulate their brands because their brands were less addictive and nobody would buy them. So the technology to maximize the sugar fat salt and products came into existence. And then the tobacco companies were able to use their existing markets of distribution to convenience stores, gas stations, corner stores, in combination with all of their advertising relationships for tobacco. So they were able to load food advertising on top of their tobacco advertising contracts and get very, very cheap advertising. And you see just stunning things like the number of Saturday morning cartoon commercials to small children goes from like 165 per single morning, Saturday morning to like 565 in the space of about seven years. And Nickelodeon carried those commercials to 65 million households. And it only takes five commercials. We have really good research. It only takes five commercials to influence a toddler's choice. So a toddler sees five commercials, they will choose that product given the chance. And they're seeing 500. So it's pretty darn clear what the heck happened. Yeah. I mean, I sit here, you know, as a seasoned healthcare provider, someone that is well-versed in a lot of the data, obviously not as well as you are. And, you know, I think to myself that we didn't stand a chance as a nation. We didn't stand a chance. And the thing that's most sad for me with this kind of realization is that when these foods are designed to be so highly addictive, so designed to overstimulate our brains, is it any wonder that we have a nation of obese, depressed anxious individuals because they have been blaming themselves all Uh these years thinking that they don't, that they somehow have, they're missing a a gene that, that allows them to stop eating. But yet it's so not about that. And and the thing that's really interesting, there's a book I read a couple of years ago, and it's one of those books that I will recommend on occasion called salt, sugar, fat. And I had had no idea. I read that book and my husband thought I was bananas because I would earmark a page. I would highlight it. And then I had to put it away because it made me so angry. I agree. But I had to read that book in two shifts. Yes. I got to like part of the children's addiction and I had to put it down for like a year. Yeah. And for me, I think, you know, I trained in inner city Baltimore and I trained at Johns Hopkins and undergrad and grad school. And having been a suburban kid my entire life, I had never experienced some of the things that my patients experienced. And yet my heart was broken every day that I went to clinicals, went to school, went to the hospital. And I thought of every single child that I saw, because when you talk about the bliss point and for people that are perhaps not familiar with what that is, these foods are designed. There's this, the perfect point when they do these test groups, the perfect point where that adult or child they want more and more and more. And it's like a street crack. I mean, that's oh, how totally. I think about it. Totally. That these processed foods are, you know, somehow we allow these processed foods to be part of our life. And it's a whole lot more hospitable than having marijuana or another type of, depending on where you live, illegal or illicit drug. But, but these drugs are actually worse because they're proliferative in everything mm-hmm. and everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I'm at least grateful that you had the same reaction. And when I read that book, I said, this is one of the most important books I've ever read, but it's also one of the most sad books I've ever read. And I thought it's Michael Moss did a nice job, yeah. really nice job yeah. um, with that book. So I'd love for you to kind of touch on 
some of the things that happen in our brains, you know, what is it about these foods that make them so irresistible? Cause it's not about willpower. I want people to be really clear about this. It's not no. that you don't want to not eat them. It's that they are designed so that you can't stop eating them. But what happens right. in our brains? I think that's really interesting for people to learn more about. So there are five things that happen in the brain. And this is why this is so hard to get over. I tell people this is going to take years. Mm -hmm. It took years for this to get taught to our brains. This is Pavlovian conditioning mm -hmm. of brain cells. It's just diabolical. So the first part of the brain that is really affected are the reward centers. Mm -hmm. So dopamine, serotonin, endocannabinoid, opiate, endorphins. And what those brain cells are taught by repeat exposure, it's just like how many times you have to pick up a cigarette before you're addicted? Well, it's three times. Mm -hmm. You smoke three cigarettes, then you've artificially simulated the pleasure centers, and they can no longer create pleasure on their own. Mm -hmm. They're now dependent on the substance in order to release the pleasure neurotransmitters. It, that's how quickly an addiction can set in. And that's why on airplanes in the 1950s, your lunch tray would come with a little pack of three cigarettes. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, oh gosh, it's so diabolical. So airlines were cooperating in the spread of smoking addiction because you just smoke those three cigarettes and then you would want more because you those neurons couldn't produce their own pleasure without some kind of stimulation. Okay, so the first thing you have to do, and very quickly, you don't need the substance. You can just be cued, mm -hmm. triggered, simulated, reminded by a message. And this is why the key to everything, I'm going to give away the end of the story. <laughs> the key to everything is to control the messaging in your around your head. Mm -hmm. It's pretty obvious once you really understand how the brain works. But only 2% of the brain is in this frontal lobe. The other 98% of the brain works on a very different basis. The other 98% of the brain pulls information in from the environment, stores it, and then when it gets in a similar situation, it looks at its stored information to decide what to do, and then it will control behavior. So this is cued Pavlovian cueing. The 2%, the frontal lobe, is the only part of the brain that can think analytically. It can actually create new responses to the same cue. So what we're doing is we're relying on the frontal lobe to control the cueing for the other 98% of the brain. It's at a disadvantage if you know, that's the case. And so I think that you know, one of the things I find in intensely interesting is that with this kind of highly addictive, highly processed food, and adding in some compulsive eating on top of it, you know, it's these pleasure centers that are driving the desire for more food. I think that's a really important takeaway. And I think a lot of people don't realize that they just feel like they're powerless. I mean, that was one of the things when I pulled on social media, people kept saying, I'm powerless over food. That is how I feel. And so do some of these propensities, I mean, beyond the biochemical part of what goes on in the brain, are there things about our childhood or, or things that we have experienced, traumas, things that we've been experiencing throughout our lifetime that can make us more susceptible. So mm -hmm. I think I find some of this part really interesting, like who is most susceptible? Obviously, I know there's an economic 
point, you know, access is another piece, you know, certainly in the inner city, I think about my inner city patients where they didn't have a beautiful Whole Foods, they had a corner grocery store. And, you know, if they went in there with food stamps, they were, they didn't have the kinds of options a lot of other people do. So what are some of the things that can drive the propensity or lower your ability to resist this compulsive eating and desire for highly processed foods? Yeah. So this is a really, really good question. You've got the addicted reward centers. Right next to that are the stress neurons, stress brain cells. When they get agitated, they reach over and agitate the addicted brain cells. So you've got this very tight loop, very sad, tight loop where the addicted neurons aggravate the stress brain cells. The stress brain cells turn around and aggravate the addicted brain cells. So stress is another one of those parts of the brain that has to be calmed down. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that we teach is how to stay calm in all circumstances Mm -hmm. so that you don't trigger that. Trauma permanently heightens the activity of the stress center. That's how that loop is influenced by trauma. Once you get those two systems hyperactivated, Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code EWP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep 
challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of bean minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.beaminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. They pull so much of the blood flow away from the frontal lobe that the frontal lobe can't work anymore. So this little 2% of the brain is called the neocortex, the new brain, because it's only been around for 140,000 years. The rest of the brain has been evolving for 7 million years. Mm-hmm. And it literally, that is the ratio. It's like 98% to 2%. Sometimes you'll say it's even smaller. Okay, so you've got to restore functioning in the frontal lobe. This is why people feel helpless, mm-hmm. because their analytical thinking, their braking system, that I don't want to eat that, that will hurt me. That system is not getting enough blood flow to function. Mm-hmm. So people do feel overwhelmed easily because the decision-making is, is in there. Learning, attention, memory, impulse control, those are all in this little tiny frontal lobe. And this is why so many parents are having trouble homeschooling their kids during COVID is because that child's frontal lobe, which should be learning, the blood flow is going to the addicted and stress pathways. In this particular addiction, there's another very terrible thing that happens, which is dieting. Mm -hmm. So when you don't have enough food repeatedly over many years, which is chronic dieting, you wake up a very primitive part of the brain, the binge brain. Mm -hmm. That's the food-seeking brain. That is the brain that that will take over the rest of the brain because famine is the leading cause of death on the planet for all times. So you have a part of the brain that's incredibly sensitive and responsive to famine, Mm -hmm. which is what dieting is. That part of the brain interprets dieting as there's not enough food. I need to take more control over this brain and get this person to go look for food all the time. So you have to quiet that part of the brain. So if you're going to lose weight, you have to just eat a lot of food, a lot of very satisfying food 
to keep that part of the brain from waking up. And then mirror neurons. So what the tobacco industry brought to us was, you know, smoking is sexy. They show you Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart Mm -hmm. smoking and flirting. Mirror neurons say, oh, smoking and flirting, smoking and romance, smoking and being in a safe relationship, smoking and having children. Okay, well, we better smoke. We need to smoke. Rebelliousness, they got the suffragettes to smoke. And then women livers in the 1970s. Oh, well, if I'm going to be a modern woman, I have to smoke. Mirror neuron engagement, conformance drive engagement, or, you know, to be thin, you know, that thin ideal. So those are the five parts of the brain, all of which very slowly over many years need to be retaught how to respond to stimulation in the environment. And you have to start with that conformance drive because that's the most powerful part of the brain. That's the part of the brain that uh, kept you in a tribe for 7 million years of brain development. If you were in a tribe, you had food, shelter, fight off predators, deliver babies, you would pass on your genes. So people who identified with the tribe, followed the tribe, copied the tribe, did what the tribe was doing, the people with the strongest conformance drive are the ones who are on the earth today. Mm-hmm. And the tobacco slash food industry exploits that mercilessly. So you've got to get around different people and stop to figure out where the tobacco slash food industry is triggering you. They get to you over media. They get to you through your loved ones. Uh, and you've got to transfer that conformance drive to healthy people. So the helplessness is in the conformance drive. Your brain will helplessly conform to the people it sees, whether they're on a screen or whether they're in person. And so you've got to transfer that conformance drive to healthy people. And then it's pretty remarkable. Things become very, very easy. Well, my Italian mother used to say, you are known by the friends you keep. So I think that aligns beautifully with the message that you're saying that you have to surround yourself by individuals that have a different relationship with food. And so Uh when we're thinking about individuals that acknowledge that they've got a problem with processed food addiction that usually goes along with, you know, for many people, binge eating and weight problems, et cetera, where can they start? Like, what are the first things, obviously, you know, being around a different group of individuals, I know would be profoundly beneficial, but if an individual is by themselves, maybe they're in a home and certainly gosh, with COVID right now, that's a good example of you may be surrounded by a whole family that doesn't have healthy habits. You know, where are some of the resources or the places people can go to get more information if we're still socially distanced? And I do want to talk a lot about COVID because that's a whole separate fascinating topic. Where can people go for good information? Where can they go I know there are recovery programs and things like that, but what are the things people can do on their own if they're not in a position where they can just pick up and leave right now? Yeah. So we have learned that screens are incredibly effective at providing this function. We've moved all of our programs, but we never had them in person. I knew from the beginning that for the amount of time, normally somebody with this severity of addiction, it started since childhood And it involves a lot of different substances Mm -hmm. and it's constantly being cued and nobody knows how to treat it. We do Mm -hmm. that 
it's really deep seated. Mm -hmm. It's very deeply rooted now in the brain. And we have good research on drug and alcohol recovery. It takes like five to eight years before you can retrain enough of the brain that it can hold on under cueing, you know, under stimulation and triggering. So we have learned that we have to start with a self quiz. Mm -hmm. People deserve to know whether they are experiencing the signs of the addiction. It's not a diagnosis. I'm not a clinician. I'm a researcher. But we do offer this self-quiz at www.foodaddictionreset.com. You can go to that website and the self-quiz is right on the the homepage. I watch the results of that self-quiz and the There are 11 diagnostic criteria that we've adapted from the signs of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And I validated these criteria in my doctoral dissertation. It just fits perfectly, just does. The alcoholism test and the processed food addiction test, they're the same. So what does that mean? Addictions manifest, addictions show up, addictions appear in very similar ways across all substances. If you want, I'll just run through them. Unintended use, you're eating when you had a plan not to eat. Failure to cut back, you want to stop, but you can't. A lot of time spent thinking about, planning for, getting, eating, sleeping off, food, cravings. Failure to fulfill roles, like you're too big to get on the floor anymore with your kids, or you're too brain fogged to apply for promotions. You're not fulfilling roles. Problems in relationships. You're irritable all the time. You don't want to be around that person because you'd much rather be eating. You're just waiting for them to go to bed so that you can go in the laundry room and get what you stashed there. Problems in relationships, irritability, and then people criticizing the way you're eating and you can't stop. And then activities given up. You don't want to go anymore. You don't like your body shape. You think people won't like you. And plus, you won't be able to connect with people because you're so brain fogged. You'd much rather just go home and eat. And then hazardous use. So you think about hazardous use being drunk driving, but we're driving and eating. And there is such a thing as blackout eating. I don't have a study for that, but I have reports in the 12-step food addiction manuals. So, you know, eating when you're a diabetic and you know it's going to drive your blood sugar up. You can't see your feet anymore. uh, So you're prone to falling You have brain fog, like obese truck drivers have more accidents than non-obese truck drivers, and yet you're still eating. And then you have a use in spite of knowledge of consequences, you know, just that little voice. I shouldn't eat this, but I'm going to anyway. And then you have uh, tolerance. You're eating more than you used to. And the last one is eating when you're not hungry. That's withdrawal Mm -hmm. avoidance. And so there are 11, those behaviors show up in alcoholism and diagnosticians are trained in a one hour interview to assess and say, yes, you are experiencing these signs. And then you have a severity rating. The American Psychiatric Association developed these criteria. Two to three is moderate, four to five is mild, and then six and above is severe. And I would say 98% of the people who come to the website are experiencing six or more. Wow. I mean, I am the adult child of an alcoholic. And so every single 
criteria that you were rattling off in my mind, I was thinking of this particular parent and how that's impacted their quality of life throughout their lifetime. They're not in recovery, but what a tremendous gift it is that you are doing this work because it is so badly needed. I was in the midst of doing a lecture this past weekend talking about weight loss resistance. And so a lot of things that you were talking about in terms of the processed food addiction, and I think about leptin resistance and all the hormones that are driving a lot of these behaviors. And I think about the more fat tissue or the more obese someone is, the more leptin resistant. And leptin is that satiety hormone, ideally should be the satiety hormone, but the cruel trick that your brain doesn't get the message that you're full, the more leptin resistant you are. And so how many patients over the years, you know, my background's in cardiology and I would have very obese patients who were trying to gain enough weight to qualify for bariatric surgery. And so it always pained me. I mean, it really, my heart went out to them. I was always incredibly, incredibly empathetic to what they were experiencing and to hear them say, I've got to gain 20 more pounds just to get my insurance to pay for this. And I would tell them, I said, but you understand that your fat cells are telling your brain you're not full. I said, they're lying. I said, so you feel like you have no control and you genuinely do not. But that's the crux of this is, and I hope that people that are listening, they understand that it is not just a lack of willpower, that there oh, are no. processes. Yeah. You're talking about the neurochemistry in the brain that is influencing the behavior. And I'm thinking about hormonally, the things that are going on in insulin resistance and frank there's, diabetes there's and, and a whole throughout the body, every system is malfunctioning. It's crying out for that. And so probably a good time to pivot a little bit. And so we're in the midst of a pandemic, which, you know, at least from where I can see it, it's not going away anytime soon. So what are the things that individuals that are in a position where they're metabolically inflexible, that they are obese and they're addicted to processed foods, what is going to happen to them? Like, like we know about the inflammation and we know that that can impact immunity, but what is going to happen if they don't have the standards or the processes in place for themselves to be able to navigate this time? And you've talked about some of this, that there's this very close relationship in the brain between the stress response and being able to mitigate behaviors. What's going to happen to them? What do you think is going to happen? Do you suspect that things are just going to get a whole lot worse before they get better? Or is there hope on the horizon? There are the things that people, these people can be doing. I'm always hopeful. I'm very much a glass half full kind of person, but what are some of the things that we need to be looking out for? Well, Cynthia, we are, well, we know 60% of mortality rates in COVID are related to diet-related diseases. Mm -hmm. And all the evidence is is that this addiction is driving Mm -hmm. the diet-related diseases. So the good news, the incredibly exciting and unbelievably good news is that what we see is that once people get off the processed foods, Mm -hmm. and this can take a while, the diet-related diseases clear up before the fat tissue comes off. And I know that's it's radical and it's contrary to how everybody thinks. Everybody thinks it is the fat tissue, mm-hmm. but it's actually the processed foods mm-hmm. are, you know, the processed foods drive the hormone dysfunction and the way the fat tissue behaves is certainly part of that. But here's what I really want people to know is that as soon as within 24 hours, of getting off some of the worst processed foods like the sugars and flours, your health starts to improve dramatically. Mm -hmm. 
you know, the bloating stops and the fatigues it, within there's a four day acute withdrawal phase, but within four to eight days, I mean, it is fast. Mm-hmm. Talk about instant gratifications. Like, yeah, the craving stop and the fatigue stops and the brain fog stops and you do start getting more control. I'm going to say this. We have recover, online recovery services. Anybody can go to Food Addiction Reset, uh, take the self-quiz, see that you score six or more. We will start emailing you, and then you can go straight in and you can sign up for the Addiction Reset community. It's eight hours a day of live programming, and it's doing the surround messaging to block out the addiction scientists at the food industry. So you can get online services. But I have to tell you something, you need to also be working with somebody like Cynthia, because we're not medical, we are support, this is peer support. We're training people now, we're training, so the addiction reset community is called the ARC, and we are training people to manage these ARCs, but they're all online, it's 100% online. You can't get enough blocking out of this addiction programming by going to a once a week meeting, it can't be something that you have to get dressed, get in your car and go to because you need too much of it. It needs to be murmuring in the background as you go about your household chores. It needs to be there. You're just going to engage that conformance drive. No, no, I am not doing what the food addiction scientists want me to do anymore. I'm going to conform to the addiction reset community. But the medical side of this addiction is extensive and we are not equipped. We don't do that part. You need somebody like Cynthia, you need a health professional who can interface on all the other issues, Uh, medications, testing, even though we have lists of processed foods versus clean foods, there are a lot of clean foods that are not gonna work for people in recovery from processed food addiction because the processed foods have so altered all the metabolic functions. So you need both. You need a medical professional, a health professional, somebody who's licensed to practice in whatever you need the most. And then you need a support system that is gonna block out this insidious and insipid and blanket queuing. It's one of the reasons, it's how we got to be so severely addicted You know, the heroin dealers and the cocaine dealers, they don't have that advertising might. You know, they're not spending $10 billion a year with media and distorting all the information that comes out of media. So you have, I mean, I can easily get through a day and not be exposed to cocaine cues or heroin cues or alcohol cues or meth triggering or any of those. I mean, I never see cues for that. But if I step outside my apartment, I'm exposed to cues for processed foods. I live in an apartment building. And if I go out the front door, there is candy sitting on the front desk of the building. I am exposed as soon as I walk out of my door. So this particular addiction requires a very different strategy than other. The core elements are the same. You know, if you have alcoholism, you want to get into Alcoholics Anonymous and get your conformance drive latched on to people who don't drink. If you continue to hang out with your drinking buddies, your conformance drive is going to latch on to those drinkers and you'll be drinking again before you know it. 
This particular addiction is also heartbreaking because typically all of our household members are addicted as well. But we have found that you can divide that. Like, I love these people. They are my tribe. But over here, my ARC tribe is the one that I follow for food decisions. And the cool thing about this is that if you just are patient and you don't push it, well, everybody else in your household has a conformance drive too. And as you become happier, more engaging, nicer, more patient, their conformance drive will start to drag them over to what you're doing. Could take years. But what you never want to do is you never want to fight with somebody about food because that will drive them away faster than anything. It is, anyway, it's pretty cool. And it's very exciting. A great deal about our focus on everyday wellness is on supporting gut health. And one of my new favorite ways to recommend to family and friends and even clients is to consider colostrum. And so Equip Foods has an amazing product that helps to improve immunity and gut health and recovery. And each scoop contains grass-fed, pasture-raised, antibiotic-free colostrum. And if you're wondering what colostrum is, it's a nutritional powerhouse that serves as the first source of nutrition for mammals in nature. It's been shown to enhance immune function, gut health, and recovery with vital nutrients such as lactoferrin, growth factors, and prolon-rich polypeptides. Colostrum is a natural milk-like fluid produced by mammals immediately following delivery of the newborn. And while colostrum is a dairy product, it does not contain milk or lactose. So most people with lactose intolerance usually find colostrum very easily digestible and beneficial to gut health. You can use one scoop a day. You can mix it in things like coffee or mix it in shakes or even yogurt or even some of your baked food recipes. As I mentioned, has a lot of health benefits, including research demonstrating the improvement in a reduction in inflammation, promoting good gut flora, and supporting restoring leaky gut to normal permeability. And what I love best is that Equip Foods is very ethically focused. Their cows are humanely raised and ethically treated, and cows produce an excess of colostrum when nursing. So only after their babies get what they need are they able to source the excess colostrum for use in their products. There is three grams of colostrum in each scoop and one serving in comparison to main competitors has just one gram. And research demonstrates that this dose of three grams actually promotes more benefits to gut health, immune function, recovery, and vitality. So if you'd love to take care of your health, you can go to www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20 to get 20% off your first order. That's www.equipfoods.com slash Cynthia20. You definitely want to check this out. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of 
all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. And we're all over the world now. We are literally, I don't know how many time zones we're in, but we do have a 24-hour operation now. We're all across the Americas, Europe and Africa, uh, India, and now we're into China and Australia. So you can access this from anywhere in the world. Well, I love that. And I think it's really important that it's a team-based approach. We all work for the end result, irrespective of titles after names or the roles that we play. We are equally important and it's so, so critical. Now, you touched on something that I was curious about. So Obviously, unlike when people are using illicit drugs or alcohol or tobacco and they need to get that out of their lives, we need to eat. Mm -hmm. So how do individuals that have these addictions, how do they integrate healthier slash better food choices? Because I know you've touched repeatedly on two topics, sugar and flour. So I'm going to assume those two are non-negotiables, but how do they navigate a nutrition program or eating, you know, moving forward so that they're limiting their ability to trigger those tendencies. This is really good. And yet another reason why this particular addiction is so hard, Mm -hmm. why it really does take years and why there's a lot of lapsing. Lapsing gets better slowly. There are longer periods of normal, calm eating, shorter periods of binging or out of control eating takes time. I mean, literally, for the drug and alcohol addictions, which are not as severe as processed food addiction, it takes five to eight years before you get a whole year of abstinence. We're not even going for abstinence in this program. It's not realistic. You know, things are hidden in our food. People are going to ingest them. So we put a lot of effort into teaching people how to bounce back when they've had a lapse. So what do you do? How do you get started Look at the queuing inside your house. It's coming over media. It's coming from things that are in your house, processed foods that are in your house. Availability has been shown to just, you don't know it's happening, but your food brain knows that that is sitting out there in the kitchen. It's not yours. Somebody else in the household brought it and left it out in the kitchen. But your reward center starts to put out neurotransmitter. It's not something that you can help. And as it builds in your brain, eventually there's enough of it to control the behavior center. And, you know, just like a robot, you're going out to the kitchen to get that thing that you don't want. So really pay attention to queuing inside the house. We do have a Facebook group. We have two Facebook groups, Food Addiction Education and Food Addiction Education-The Food. I know this is going to sound really funny, but I'll explain why it works. Go to food addiction education dash the food and just look at the pictures because that is the one place in our public stuff that we we have food pictures. So what you do is you just go over there. This is Pavlovian conditioning. You're telling your brain, like the old 98% of the brain, the primitive brain, 
doesn't understand pictures. They think that if they're getting a signal through the eyes, that it's really there. And so they're going to tell you, go eat that. Mm-hmm. You know, because for those 7 million years, if you walked past a food source, because there wasn't enough food, really, your brain would just go crazy. Stop, stop, get it, get it. Can't you see it? It's right there. Stop. Eat it all as fast as you can. Eat it before somebody else eats it. Eat it before the predators know you're here. And then run away and hide so that the predators don't find you. It's, that is 98% of what brain is trained to do. So if you go over to food addiction dash the food and you look at the food pictures and you look at the food pictures and you look at the food pictures, you know, we monitor that very carefully. If somebody puts up an illegal food or processed food, we take it down right away. So it's a safe place to go and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking until you persuade that primitive food seeking brain that that's what's available then you've, you know, you've co-opted the brain to cooperate with you. So then the other thing is to negotiate with household members. If you live by yourself, I live by myself. I don't have to negotiate with anybody. They're just processed foods. They're not visible inside my house. They're not in my house. So that will calm down the addicted neurons. You've got the food-seeking part of the brain on your side now. I would stay out of the grocery store, get the online service going, and just pick out the foods that you've seen at Food Addiction Dash, the food. We do have handouts, a website called Food Addiction Resources. So you can get the list of foods that have addictive properties. There are a couple of foods that are not processed, but they have addictive properties like nuts and dairy and high sugar fruits. Are those highly, those reward neurons that have been sensitized so aggressively over so many decades, they can't tolerate. There's tryptophan in nuts to serotonin. It converts to serotonin in the brain. High sugar foods just, I mean, I over the 25 years I've been doing this, I've just gradually eliminated more and more fruits till I'm on the really low sugar fruits now. I'm much happier that way. So there's nothing that's going to replace getting around healthy people because that conformist drive will... Here's an example. Like if you're standing in a building and you see everybody running out of the building, you'll run out of the building. That's like an extreme example of conformist drive. But no other part of the brain is stronger than the conformist drive. The conformist drive has saved your life for 7 million years. It will either create safety for you or create uh, diet-related diseases. That's incredibly powerful. And interestingly enough, you mentioned two classes of foods or two types of foods that I refer to affectionately as the, you know, when people are trying to figure out the last five or 10 pounds they can't get off, almost always it's nuts Mm -hmm. and oftentimes cheese because they're delicious, they're a little salty, and they're hard to eat in very small quantities. So I I find it Interesting that you mentioned that. One last thing before we go, because I want to be super respectful of your time. And and one question that came up over and over and over again, and I probably already know the answer to this, but I found it interesting that they would ask. And it's tantamount to the mindset that proliferates within our society. And part of it's related to conditioning. Someone asked, what supplements, and you'll find this fascinating, what supplements can I take to replace the dopamine that the dopamine that my brain is creating when I eat these particular foods? And so I thought that was interesting. I can probably guess what your response may be, but I thought it was worth asking nonetheless, in case there was something new for me to learn. 
Uh, I think you're going to be surprised. So you have four worn out reward pathways in the brain. It takes a long time for them to start working again. And it's not the production of the neurotransmitter that's worn out. It's the receptor. So in order for you to feel happy, your dopamine neuron releases dopamine, but it has to jump over a gap between synapse brain cells. It has to jump the synapse. And then it has to, so that neurotransmitter is released. Yay, I'm going to feel great. It comes over and it hits that receptor and the receptor transmits it on to the next neuron and you feel great. But what happens in any addiction and and especially in processed food addiction, it's the worst, is that the artificial stimulation of the dopamine neuron is hitting that receptor too often. It's like bombarding it all the time. And this receptor says, "Uh uh-uh, and it collapses. I am not putting up with this. And it actually, it looks like the head of a dead flower. It collapses in on itself. The good news is it can come back, but you've got to back off the dopamine and go through a period of, you might have some depression for a couple of weeks. It takes about three weeks for this to open up again. But here's what is super, super, super cool about getting around people who are kind and patient and have the expertise. Like this is why I don't recommend amateur support groups for this particular addiction because they're working off of old weight loss science, which actually makes food addiction worse. So what's very cool about getting around healthy people is that it activates a completely different feel-good pathway, oxytocin. Oh, mother of all hormones. So what you want to do is you want to spend a lot of time around these people. And we do know that oxytocin can be released over screens. You know, the best thing is to hug somebody. No, we're not doing that. Not right now. (laughs) You get that oxytocin high, the feel-good high from connecting with a group. You know, conformance drive is most engaged with five people or more. And five people you know well. It's really triggered by food. So that's why you really don't want to watch somebody eat processed foods. That's very, very triggering. And that will turn off your frontal lobe because it'll activate the addictive pathways and you won't, the willpower doesn't, that's just what Cynthia said. It doesn't have anything to do with it. That part of the brain, the braking system is crashed. Just like your computer can crash. There's no data coming out of it. There's no help. There's no neurotransmitters coming out of it that can go and fight the addicted neurons. Yeah. You know, I just want to say one other thing before we go. It's about the COVID issue, which is no matter what you weigh, if you stop eating processed foods today, the inflammation will start going down right away and your immune system will grow stronger. So it is worth fighting this. It's not like, don't let the addiction say to you, well, you know, you have 100 pounds to lose or you have 25 pounds to lose and you've never been able to get it off. So you shouldn't even try. It's not going to help you. If you can get off the processed foods, get them out of your house, educate your household, your household needs to lock them up, your immune function and anti-inflammation functions will start improving immediately. And it could have a very significant impact on the outcome if you should catch COVID. So fight for this. This is worth you're fighting for your life. 
Well, I so agree. I think this may be one of the most important podcasts I have recorded in the two years I've been doing this. Thank you so much for your time today, your knowledge. I'll definitely have to bring you back. Can you share with the listeners the best way to reach you, find your resources? I know you've been mentioning them throughout, but try to keep them all organized at the very end as well. If you can let people know how easy it is to find you, find your Facebook groups, your resources, et cetera. So the best thing to do is to go to Food Addiction Reset. All of our contact information is there. If you would like for me to speak somewhere, go to my speaker website, Dr. Joan Ifland. So Dr. Joan Ifland, D-R-J-O-A-N-I-F-L-A-N-D. I would be happy to help you. The Facebook group is Food Addiction Education. It's a great place to start. If you're already on Facebook, this Food Addiction Education. We actually had just in the last couple of weeks, we've created a team of our people who will be there to greet you within no more than a couple hours and get you started, get you to take the self-quiz and come to a workshop. So that's another really good place to start. The food addiction education is a good portal into the rest of our services. I mean, we... It's a big, big, big complex disease, huge. And it takes years to get it sorted out. And we know about the brain fog and we know about the confusion and the, the decision-making challenges, et cetera. One of the nicest things we do is we go very, very slowly. We never ask people to do more than they can do. You know, like just taking the self-quiz, it's 11 questions. Mm-hmm. That's really, a lot of times that's all somebody can do for like a day or two mm-hmm. or three or even a week, they need time to, this is a radical shift from what everybody else is talking about. It works incredibly well, but it's respectful mm-hmm. to just give people time to absorb this and sort out what would be best for them. We still have brains. It's just like, that's a big part of our philosophy is to protect people while they figure it out. We're providing all the support, but we're also teaching people to respect their own understanding of what will work for them. We give people options, but we never tell people what to do. We respect them. We know what people have been through. It's horrible. It's a nightmare. H-E-L-L for decades. For sure. Well, I, again, can't thank you enough for your time. And I love the message of slow and steady and respecting mm-hmm. bioindividuality, which is a term I use quite a bit. If you are not part of Joan's Facebook group, I enjoy the group thoroughly. I learn a lot. So you definitely want to check that out as well as her other resources she mentioned. Thank you so much for your time today. It's really been a pleasure. Thank Stay you. healthy and well. You too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.